just look around you for a moment just while I'm getting organised, and you'll see that we're all different. Just have a nosy around. We're all different. The amazing thing is, we are all, the Bible tells us, made in the image of God. We are image bearers of our Heavenly Father. And yet we are all totally different, totally unique. None of us are the same. We all have different skills, different gifts, different abilities. Some of us are good at some things, others at others. Just watch the screen for about 30 seconds. Don't you wish you could bowl like that? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you feel totally out of your depth where you feel like you've just been plunged somewhere where actually your skill set, your gifting just doesn't match up with reality. Um, a number of years ago, when we lived in Bristol, I got asked to help at a music day at the cathedral. Will, could you just put the, the PowerPoint on? And I was, I was put in this room. Well, it wasn't that room. It was this room, the chapter house in Bristol Cathedral. And the person who invited me to come along said, you'll be doing some piano accompanying, and you may get asked to, to lead a group of year sixes in some singing. That's top juniors in old money. So I'm expecting to be playing the piano for the day, possibly helping a few year sixes, 10, 11-year-olds, to do some singing. So I get there, I arrive, I get put in this room, and I think, what am I doing in here? Then this bloke comes in, this bloke organising, and said, well, here's your instruction sheet for the day. And I look at it, and there's some music. I think, yeah, I can cope with that. And then underneath it says, body percussion and dance moves. <laughs> so I ask him, well, where's the dancer coming in? He says, oh no, you're teaching the dance moves. And I'm thinking, hold on a minute. If ever you have had the misfortune to see me dance, and I don't think anyone in this room apart from Claire has, it is not an edifying prospect. You would not be blessed by my dancing. And it was absolutely terrifying. You know, what do you do in that moment? And he said, in ten minutes, there'll be a hundred year sixes coming in. I'm thinking, that's bad enough. I can just about cope with a hundred year sixes, but dancing... So I thought, I've got three options. I can either cry and go and rock in the corner. (laughs) I can run out, or I can act and pray that actually God somehow will equip me to be able to do this. I I did the third. And it was absolutely terrifying and horrendous. But I sort of got through. To make matters worse, just as I started, the dean of the cathedral came in, along with the worship coordinator, saying they were watching me to see how to do it. Thinking this is just not going right in any way, shape, or form. If you were here last week, we were talking about how church is all done in community, how discipleship is about all this one anothering that we see in the New Testament. 59 one another's, love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, the list goes on and on. And today, really, we're following on from that, and we're looking how discipleship is also about using our gifts in the service of one another. And just a verse to set all this in context, although it's not this passage we're actually looking at. This is from 1 Peter 4, verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. If you've got a Bible in front of you, you might want to turn to the book of Romans. 
Romans chapter 12, and I'm reading from verse 3. It's on page 1075, if you've got a church Bible in front of you. Starting at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are need, who are in need, and practice hospitality. Let's briefly pray as we come and open God's word this morning. Lord, I want to thank you for this amazingly encouraging passage of Scripture. And just this invitation to be part of your body and all serve together. To serve one Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that as we come and unpack what it means to use our gifts for your glory, as part of our discipleship, Lord, I pray that if there are things we need to do as a result of what we hear today, that you'll give us the courage to step out in faith into all that you have for us. Thank you that, as John has already reminded us, you are the giver of good gifts. You're the one who seeks to pour your Holy Spirit onto us today. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. There is sometimes a figure that's quoted when talking about um, people serving in the church, and it's this, the 2080 problem. I don't know if you've ever come across it. And... I don't know if it's verified through research or just people's observations, but the the 2080 problem is this, that 20% of the people in a church often do 80% of the work. The 20% do 80%, and then the 80% are only doing 20%. Now, I don't know if that is true for Lynn Baptist Church. I didn't go through the church directory and work out percentages, don't worry. But I think there is a certain amount of truth in whatever church body, whatever church fellowship you find yourself in, is that there are some people who are running themselves ragged, keeping things going. There are some people who are doing a bit, and some people who probably aren't doing a great deal in terms of using their giftings. And there are also some people who are doing dancing when they really shouldn't be dancing. (laughs) And there are some people who are just worn out because they're trying to be everything to everybody. Well, Paul, in the book of Romans, takes us on a bit of a journey through what can be a bit of a minefield, actually, in terms of how we use our gifts. But the first thing he talks about is that we are one body. Paul likes talking about the church as the body. He does it through a number of his letters. And in verse 4 to 5, he just does that. You know, we have a human body. And it's literally, if you think about your body, it's all joined up. You can't say, you know, I'm just going to leave my kidneys at home this morning, or my eyeball on the table. It's, It's just not things that we can do. Even if we have bits of our body missing, the bits that are left 
are still the bits that are all united. We're, we're just one. We're made as one. And Paul's point is that even though the body of the church, the church is a body and has, each has different functions, we are all united. Verse 5, the church, there are many different people. We are a unity, an amazing unity. Colossians 1 verse 18, it says, he, talking about Jesus, is also the head of the body. Your bodies can function without all kinds of things. You can chop bits off and patch them up and they, they will still work. Get the minute the head is lost, the body can't function. You know, if our church body ever tries to exist without Jesus as our head, we will cease to be church. We will cease to be what God has called us to be. So verse 5, it says, So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In our individualistic, consumerist type of world, I think that verse really stands out. It's not about me. It's not about my gifts, but it's about us belonging to one another. I belong to you, you belong to me, we belong to each other, so that the church is built and the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified. Now, as we saw last week when we were looking at Hebrews, the churches that were often written to in the New Testament time were small, small churches, small congregations, um, often meeting perhaps in, say, somebody's hall in a wealthy person's house, and they may have sat 20, possibly 30 around there. This is a, a picture I, I found this week. Um, I don't quite know when that was drawn, but you see the size of that meeting. That was an agape feast when the church gathered to share a meal together. And I can count seven, is it? I think there's two children, one there and one there, I think. And then five around the table. You know, you're not looking at a huge congregation. You're looking at these very small groups of people. But you think about Paul writing to Rome. You see, Rome is the seat of imperial power at this point. It's where the emperor lives. It's where everything is going on in the Roman Empire. And so any, uh, any group of people who start saying anything other than Caesar is Lord find themselves persecuted, find themselves squashed down. And so when the Christians are there saying Jesus is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, not Caesar, they immediately become a target for persecution. So the church in Rome would not only be small, but they would meet together in the, the tunnels under the city. Sometimes they would meet together in the catacombs, in the tombs, because this was where they had to meet for fear of persecution. And it was in this kind of environment that actually these words about needing one another and needing the giftings of everybody really resonate. You know, we look around today in 21st century Lynn, in a busy church where our numbers are probably 10, if not 20 times bigger than the church in Rome would have been. And it can be difficult to get this to work in quite the same way. But you know, this is God's word to us. If we are to function as all we need to be as the body of Christ, we desperately need one another. This is an all-in activity. Church is not something, it's not a form of religious entertainment, it's not done for you. We are all in this together, serving the same Lord. So we're one body, but we have different gifts. I've been to a, a number of different teaching sessions on the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, on the gifts that God has given to us, and the sort of wider natural gifts as well. And we'll come back and have a, a little bit of a look at the, the gifts that Paul actually talks about here in a moment. But sometimes I've heard people sort of suggest that the, the spiritual gifts that we find in the Bible, and there are at least 25 of them listed all over the place, it's actually more like a library than something God gives you specifically as an individual. 
that actually, if you find yourself in a certain situation and you're in, the, in need of mercy to show to a person, then God grants you the gift of mercy at that particular time. Now, I don't want to totally dismiss that. I think there is some truth in that, because I think God sometimes can bless us with a certain gift to deal with a certain situation. But I think actually Paul's point here is, different people have different gifts, and we're told to use them according to our faith, something of a more permanent nature. We don't just wait for situations and then pray to how to respond, but we go into those situations that we feel gifted in dealing with. You know, God can equip me to dance for two hours, but I'm very thankful he hasn't done it for any longer, because I wouldn't enjoy it. It wouldn't be the kind of thing I would be very good at. Verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. These are grace gifts that Paul is talking about. These are not deserved. They're not earned. They're given by God. They're not according to our skill set. And then there is a list. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouragement, giving, leading, showing of mercy. But those are not exhaustive. Here's a load more that you find in the New Testament. If you want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, at some point, I'll just read the last little bit for you, because this gives a load of other ones here. It says, now you are all the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping and guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. But before we unpack that, before we look at some of those things, I want to just look at a very little word at the beginning of verse 6. And it's a two-letter word, and it's the word we. Probably the most important word, actually, in this passage. Because it is a word that is very simply inclusive. And it's unambiguous. You can't get round it. It's just sat there at the beginning of this. And what it means is that Paul is saying everyone in the church is gifted in some way to serve and build up the body of Christ. Now, I firmly believe that. I firmly believe all of us have something to give to one another. All of us have something that God will be calling us to do to build each other up. Now, you may be sat here today and think, well, I haven't got the confidence to do anything. That's a different issue. And that's something that probably needs addressing through prayer and talking it through. Or you may think, well, I haven't got much to offer. Or I don't know what my gifts are. Or I'm okay at all kinds of things. So how do I know what it is that God wants me to focus on? And again, those are all important questions. But they're questions that follow on from this call that Paul places on us. We have different gifts. We. Inclusive and unambiguous. If you're a disciple of Jesus, God has equipped you in some way or will equip you to serve the church. Now, it's worth saying at this point, actually, you know, there are times in our lives where perhaps we're ill or we're physically limited or we have pressures of care for, say, family members or whatever. And God understands that. You know, I don't think Paul is writing this to to beat us up or to make us feel guilty. But rather, this is the invitation to be part of what God is doing through his body. So how do we know what our gifts are? That's often a question that I've had asked. How do you know what God has gifted you in? How do you know? 
Well, if you're in a, a small group this week, if you're following the questions following on from the, the messages, um, there will be some questions about unpacking that together as a group. I also sent around a link um, to the small group leaders for a spiritual gifts questionnaire. There's loads of them online. Um, but I found one that was actually quite good. Um, I did it, and I, th- I thought it was quite accurate for me, so try it. Um, ask your small group leader for the link. Um, other things you can do. Chat with friends. See what other people, other Christian friends think. Your, your giftings, your areas of strength that God has given you lie. Chat to me. Chat to one of the other leaders. You know, my experience, and this is my own story, is that spiritual giftings and natural giftings are not necessarily the same. You know, God can give us gifts through the Holy Spirit that don't naturally fit with our personality, don't naturally fit with what we would expect. Hopefully it doesn't always go as far as the dancing for me. But it may be something that just comes out of the blue, that suddenly we start having a passion for something. And we're thinking, where has that come from? Where has that come from? You know, perhaps you've been praying, Lord, use me, and then suddenly you're finding that you've got a real passion for our young people in church. It may be that God has gifted you to be a youth leader. And you need to start exploring that. Or perhaps when we're praying for people and we're praying for the sick, you start thinking, I've got a real heart for people who are struggling at the moment. Perhaps God is calling you to that kind of ministry. Or perhaps you're walking through um, Sainsbury's or Asda or wherever, and you're seeing all these people walking around, and you're thinking, most of these people probably have never heard of Jesus. How can I share Jesus with them? It may be that that passion that is building up inside of you is that God has equipped you as an evangelist, and you just need to start working that through. Well, my own story, um, I was baptised when I was 18, and um, I got brought up in a a Christian family, and it was also a musical family, so music surrounded me from being sort of this high, Um, and I had relatives who were music teachers, and so for me, music has always been part of life. And from being about the age of 12, I'd been serving God through playing the keyboard and the piano in church and those kind of things. And so by the time I was baptized, I felt I knew what God wanted for me. God wanted me to keep using the music that he'd already given me to keep serving him. Now, over the years, God has used that, and I I still enjoy playing the piano and and being part of our music teams here. But you know, if I had chosen not to follow Jesus, if I'd walked away, I would have still been a musician. I'd have probably been quite a bad cocktail pianist, as people at Holiday at Home were finding out on Monday. (laughs) But around the time I got to my mid-twenties, just after me and Claire had got married, I I was sat in church, and people were preaching. And I started to think, oh, I wonder why you've said it like that. Oh, I wouldn't have perhaps phrased that. I wonder where you're going with this point. And it really started to to burn on me, and sort of this sense of, of God stirring something up in me. But there was only one slight problem. I hated being in front of people. Absolutely hated it. When I was at school, if somebody said, would somebody come out and read, you know, say in English or something like that, I would literally climb under the desk. You know, this this wasn't my kind of thing. But eventually, I plucked up the courage to have a go at preaching. I think it was Claire's dad, actually, invited me to do it. And I preached on a Sunday night for 10 minutes. It was meant to be 20, but I was 10. And it was below average. It really wasn't very good at all. But a couple of people said, you know, you need to carry on. Have another go. See how it goes. So I had another go, and it was marginally less below average. (laughs) And people started to say, well, God actually spoke to me through something that you said at that point. And you start thinking, I wonder if this is God stirring something. This is not a natural gift. If this is from God, it has to be a spiritual gift, because this is not me in the natural. And then over the years, I suddenly found out that I was exploring 
ministry training. And you think, how on earth did I get there? How on earth did that happen? If we are gifted and called, the one anothering kicks in at that point. So if you're wondering, well, am I called, am I gifted in a particular area? Ask people. People who you can trust. Do you feel this is where God is calling me? We need people who will be honest with us and say yes. Or actually say no, I don't think that area is for you. Perhaps you need to keep on exploring and look at something else. Claire's granddad used to use a line which I actually quite like. He says, used to say this, God equips the called. He doesn't just call the equipped. Remember him saying that a number of times. I'll just say it again. God equips the called. He doesn't just call the equipped. God has gifted you in a particular area. You don't need to worry about whether God will equip you to do whatever he's called you to do. His Holy Spirit will enable that. God isn't looking around for people who've done everything and then fancy using whatever it is in his service. You know, as a church, I think the consequence of this is that actually we need to give one another permission to give things a go, permission to try. You know, our preaching course that we've been doing on a a Monday nights, one thing that we're doing is giving people, perhaps who haven't had much experience of preaching, the chance to have a go and receive feedback from one another. And we need to do that right across the church so that we can see, you know, Lord, what is it you've called each of us to do? But there's also another end of the spectrum here. F.F. Bruce, um, commentator on on this passage of scripture, says, we're to only do the things we are divinely qualified to render. It's like it was written a while ago. You wouldn't use that language now. But only do the things we are divinely qualified to render. Only do the stuff that actually God wants us to do, basically. I was chatting to somebody at a a meeting a few weeks ago, and this was a a very gifted person, somebody who had led a church really well for decades, somebody who had quite a national profile as a a speaker. And they said that somebody had once come alongside them and said, you are doing things that God has neither called you to do nor equipped you to do because you're very capable. And you're just doing them, but you're doing them in your own strength. You're not doing them because God has spiritually gifted you to do those things. And he said it sort of really impacted him. And he had to go away and sit down and actually think, actually, what has God equipped me to do? And he realized that those things that he felt initially God calling him to do had got sort of pushed to the background. And as a result, the church that he was serving, the ministry that he was doing, was a lot weaker because he was trying to do all this other stuff that other people should have been doing. And so he said he had to learn this important word. And it was, no, I won't do that. God has not divinely appointed me to do that. But he's called me to do this. And this is what I need to be doing instead. If we're doing stuff today, you may be here and you may be thinking, well, actually, I relate to that dancing illustration. Because at the moment, I'm dancing when I should be serving. Or I'm serving when I should be teaching. Or I'm teaching when I should be offering hospitality. Whatever it is then perhaps we actually need to learn to put stuff down. None of us have the time or the capability or the calling from God to be everything to everybody. And so it's that question, Lord, what gifts is it that you've given me that you want me to use? You know, God doesn't need me or you to be the things he hasn't called us to be. He doesn't need us to operate in areas where he hasn't spiritually gifted us and equipped us to operate because he's equipped other people to do that. 
And you see how easily this one-anothering breaks down and the body starts to not function as well as it should. He needs me to do the things that he's called me to do. He needs you to do the things that he's called you to do. And then we grow as the body of Christ together. Let's have a brief look at the, the things that Paul uses as an illustration of these gifts here. Remember, these are only some of the gifts that are mentioned throughout the New Testament. The first one is the gift of prophet. Came across this quote, I don't know how you name this man, Diodorus or Diodorus. <laughs> Rather unfortunate name if it's the latter. But I like his quote. He, li- he died in 390, so I'm presuming he wrote it sometime before then. Prophecy means the explanation of things which are unclear, whether future or past, whether present or hidden. I probably want to add a little bit more to that, about revealing something about the tender, loving heart of God in drawing people to himself in the here and now. Well, you know, no one prophesies in the natural, do they? No one prophesies without being equipped by the Holy Spirit to do it. No one can reveal the mysteries of God's heart for today without the Holy Spirit having equipped them to do that. Paul's point. If you've called to prophesy, prophesy. If you've not, don't. But if this is what God has given you, now whether that is in a word to an individual, whether that is through preaching, and you know, preaching in its, in its essence is about declaring the word of God into the here and now, whether that is in prayer, whether if, if you're praying and you, you, you sort of get a real sense that the Holy Spirit is guiding and leading, then according to the faith that God has given you, get on with it. Now, whenever we talk about prophecy, we always say there are biblical safeguards that apply. Anything we offer must always be tested. We must give it to the body of Christ to test. It's not a question of who can say, thus saith the Lord the loudest. And we always need to remember that whatever is given today needs to be weighed against the revealed word of God. God will never contradict himself. Never, ever contradict himself. Second thing is serving. The desire to give to others. You know, perhaps you have a real heart for serving other people. And you, you just have that desire to do that out of love for Christ and love for one another. In Luke chapter 10, there is an account of two ladies, Mary and Martha. You may know the story. And Mary is described as listening sat at the feet of Jesus, while Martha is scurrying around doing all the work and not listening to Jesus. Now, that is not the kind of serving that I don't think Paul is on about here. But it's serving that is rooted in knowing Jesus, being prepared to do the growing, and then serving out of our love for Christ. Teaching. Explaining the Bible, teaching about our faith. It may be as a youth group leader, a small group leader, a preacher. Different context, but the same end. Teaching people about who God is. And Paul says, if that's you, get on with it. Teach. If you're called as a teacher, find an avenue for it, and teach so other people can grow. Encouragement. Sometimes I think we just think encouragement is about saying nice things to people to make them feel good about themselves. But it's far broader than that. It's about encouraging people to become all they can be in Christ. About encouraging people to grow in their love and faith of God. Giving. You know, all of us are called to give. And this is about financial giving, really, here. We're called to give financially. We're called to give of our gifts. We're called to give us our time. But there are some people who 
just deep within have that real sense that God has called them to just keep giving. Go way beyond any kind of biblical call to give. You know, we, we knew a lady a number of years back who would just give and give and give. She'd always be blessing people with giving. She always did it in a very quiet, unassuming way. But she'd just keep blessing and blessing and blessing. The church, individuals, families, whatever it was, she would give. Leadership. You know, the church needs leading, doesn't it? Needs people with a gift of leadership to be able to take the church into the future. Because if we don't move forward, we just automatically decline and go backwards. We can't stand still as the body of Christ. And if we're leaders, what does Paul says, do it diligently. Do it seriously. Do it to the best of the ability and the level of faith that God has given us. And then mercy. Acts of kindness to the undeserving. Perhaps you have a real heart for people who are on the margins, maybe on the margins of church or even the margins of society, whatever that is. If God has given you a heart for, for people, then do that cheerfully. You serve people, love people with a cheerful heart. I don't know if you've noticed, there's a very obvious theme running through all of these. I think Paul couldn't have said it any plainer, but it's basically, once you've worked out what God has gifted you to do, get on with it. Whether it's leadership, prophecy, teaching, giving, get on with it. Honour God through what you do. Humbly serve our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we all serve one Lord. We're all serving the same Lord Jesus. Verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. These last few verses, there's a number of appeals here. Be devoted to each other, honor one another, keep your fervor. That is really to do with your energy and your passion. Be joyful, be patient, faithful, sharing, and hospitable. It's all encouragements, isn't it? Become all these wonderful things, and you will grow as the body of Christ. You'll become all that you can be through Jesus. But these gifts of the Spirit, the ones that are mentioned here and the ones that are mentioned in other parts of the Bible, like 1 Corinthians 12, they were causing problems in some of the early churches. And they've often caused problems in the church of today. In Corinth, people liked to sort of put on a boast as to what gifts they had. And they were, they were convinced that like tongues were sort of top of the pile and everything else sort of fitted underneath it. And it can cause a problem if once we start to think, oh, this is my gift, I will use it, and I will use it regardless of whether it's needed, whether it's appropriate, because this is how God has gifted me, then we start to get problems. Because we forget this is all about being devoted to one another out of service for the Lord. This is humble service, putting Jesus first and serving one another. And then we get to the end of that passage. And there are two words, very little sentence, where it says practice hospitality. It's sometimes said that an Englishman's home in his castle is his castle. And sadly, I think there is some truth in that. I don't know about you, but sometimes at the end of a long day, I like to go home, shut the door, draw the curtains, put the telly on, and switch off. Anyone else like doing that? Yeah? The problem is sometimes we do it far too often, and we don't invite people to share in what God has given us. And actually, Paul's um, comment at the end here is just, you know, if we want to do this one-anothering stuff seriously, it can't just be done here, it can't just be done in our small groups, but it's got to be done in our homes as well. Our homes need to be places of welcome. Because it's when we see one another at home that we actually see one another as we really are. 
don't know why you're frowning at me, Claire, at that point. <laughs> but if I'm going to be grumpy, I'm not going to be grumpy here. I'll be grumpy at home. And that's where you really see me as I am. And so when we invite one another into our homes, there is that sense that there is the reality there of becoming all that God wants us to be. Share our homes, share what we have with one another, and in doing so, we serve Christ. See, at the end of the day, I don't think this passage is particularly about how am I gifted and how do I use it? But it's about how can I serve one another and in doing so, serve Christ. What has God called me specifically to do as part of the body? That may be here, maybe somewhere else, it may be with our friends and family, but what has God called us to do? So three questions just for us to think about. Do you know what your gifts are? Do you know what they are? If you don't, then there's a really exciting journey of discovery ahead of you. Because we know that God is gifted. If you're following Jesus, that there is a we at the beginning of verse 6. We're all in this. We've all been gifted. Secondly, are you using the gifts that God has given you? Are you doing that? Are you serving God in the way he's called you to do? Thirdly, are there things that you need to do as a result of looking at this passage? Are there things that you need to step up and start doing? Or alternatively, are there things that you need to stop and step down from doing? Because actually you're the dancer when you need to be something else. We're in this together. We're one another serving Jesus. I'll just leave those up for a moment. Let's just spend a moment in quiet and then I'll lead us in prayer. Let's be quiet. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Lord, I pray that those verses will be a reality in our church family here. And I pray that if there is anything you've said to any of us today about the gifts that you've given us and how discipleship is about serving and how all of us are called to serve. Lord, give us the courage to enact on it today, we pray. And Lord, as we come in a few moments and we gather around the communion table, we remember that all this is because of what you have done for us. That everything that we do about being community, about being disciples, is because you gave your life for us. And so, Lord, we pray that our devotion to you comes first, that you are indeed the head of the church. Thank you, Lord, for this invitation to be part of your body. In Jesus' name.